Hey guys, Josh here. Today's episode is one I am genuinely very happy to be bringing to you. It's with an amazing person, Mark Pierce, who is the author of one of, if not the best books on creativity I've read probably in over a decade. And he happens to be a very accomplished graphic artist, musician, designer, and about a hundred other things, and photographer. So he's a multi-talented person and he's a super nice guy. Let's jump in with yet another person that has a much better accent than I do, Mark Pierce. Let's do this thing. Mark You've done work for the BBC, Sky, PlayStation Magazine, your favourite football club, which I want to talk about what you did for them specifically. You seemed really excited on a video I saw, the Hull City Football Club, from memory. And I guess what fascinated me most about yourself beyond the book is just so extraordinary to me, is that you're a multi-creative, something that I've always aspired to be, but you've really excelled in multiple fields. Can you give us just a little... 411 on Mark Pierce and maybe what you've done creatively over the years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, it's my my whole working life, it's 25 years plus. It's it's been um creativity from day one. I, I guess my early career I was bouncing around through design agencies, so I did a lot of design agency work bouncing around them got to like middle management type thing where you start becoming less hands-on <laughs> and that I didn't like that. Because I was then managing people, which is like herding cats is herding designers. So, um, you know, I got got out of that and then um, decided to just work on my own terms. And I had, a, you know, there was never a job that fit what I what I was interested in, because I'm just insatiably curious, I think. So if I was going to work as a designer, I couldn't do photography. And and if I was going to work in music, I couldn't do the others. So I ended up jumping ship and working you know, on all three, making my own job up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of what, ha- you know, the, the, the big clients were all the agency working, like the BBC, the ITV and stuff like that. Did a lot of broadsheet newspaper design work, did, uh, did design some of the, the weather forecast panels, you know, like, you know, the little clouds and stuff like that for a lot of the, the, the major, um, major British newspapers. I'm assuming they have to be very precise too. Very, oh yeah. dear, you get one degree off and you're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're on the phone. You yeah. know, if you get you get anything slightly incorrect, a spelling or, or a temperature conversion out, you know, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the last half, the last 12, 14 years or whatever, it's, it's, it's a mix of design photography and music. I mean, for example, this week, for example, I, this, well, this past fortnight, I've, I've done some food photography and some video for a local restaurant. I'm working on design for a workbook for young adults processing grief. I've done some session guitar for a country song. <laughs> I mean, what job can you do? Can you find that's that kind of mix? And oh yeah, another one I did as well, which I loved was I do quite a lot of headshots, you know, just head and shoulders photography uh, in my little studio here. And I, I got this gentleman in who was um, 80 years old is, is the oldest client that I, I think I've had. And he wanted an update on his headshots. He used to work as an actor in the West End in, in his younger days, and he brought his photos in from uh, 60, 60 years ago, they were, when he was 20. Wow. 
And so we talked all about that. And I just, he just wanted to have photos of himself now from, you know, from, from when he was all those years ago. And so it was, it was, it's moments like that, that you can't get in a standard corporate office design job. It's like, that's what brings me alive, that kind of stuff. I'm just so fascinated by this individual you've just mentioned that now my brain's pinging with a thousand different things, but we're going to try and stay on you for just a little bit there. One expression that I loved from the book was, and I think it might have been early in the book actually, was where did the art go? I think it might have actually been a chapter name. So mm. you were always in the creative field, but it sounds like you've also managed to rediscover and kind of have had to build a path to that discovery by creating your own job and studio and all these things, you've either never really lost the art or reclaimed it. Is that an accurate statement, do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think – I've kind of lost it and found it and lost it and found it in different areas, I yeah. think. Yeah. You know, it's like the pro, almost like the process you've just described is – it was almost like when, – especially when you're young, you, you kind of focus on one thing because that's all your head can cope with. And then it's like you, you drop that. Well, I dropped that for a while and then pick something else up. Yeah. And then something else becomes intriguing and I'll drop that and pick that up. And then after a while, I, you kind of, I kind of cycled around them all. So I've kind of, my competence level has increased o over them all. So it's not like I do them all all the time because my head would explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have rediscovered. It's, for example, just last, just about this time last year, I've rediscovered pencil sketching and when i thought back i don't think i've i've picked up a pencil and actually drawn something probably for 20 years to actually do a finished picture and that's something i rediscovered this you know and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and is that was that part of your work previously or was that something you did in your school years like when was when you say 20 years ago what was that yeah. last time oh do you know i don't even i'm i'm guessing i that's a that's a wild guess. My, when I was serious about it, it was at school. You know, it was yeah. probably 14, 15 when I, that was something that I was really, really good at. And um, I enjoyed, but then you, you don't, you don't leave school and then go, are there any jobs doing pencil sketching? You know, no, <laughs> <place>. no correct. <laughs> you know, it, the, the, there wasn't a lot of call for that where, where I grew up. So it kind of, that's the kind of thing that you, you fell by the wayside. But I ended up doing a, you know, a drawing that I then gave to my mum as a gift for Christmas and she, she loves it, you know, and it's, it's been a talking point for people that have been visiting her and her, you know, yeah. when they come and visit. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Why I brought up, where does the art go or where did the art go? And you've just brought up those teen years. I think from reading your work and other people's work that I've mentioned before, that does seem like a time where small, what could seem like innocuous comments can become mm -hmm. creative, can become creative wounds. And maybe as an individual statement or day or bad experience or whatever, they're not enough to throw someone off course. But myriad of those things over the course mm -hmm. of a couple of years when maybe you're sensitive to new hormones and all the things that are going on in your life and you're trying to, like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, it's all happening all at once. Those can become deeper creative wounds. And is that partly what kills the art in a lot of people? I, I think it, I think it is, yeah. Uh, you know, you, when you're young, you're, you're generally speaking, if you've got a, a reasonably stable upbringing, you're free to explore and you're free to play, you know, 
even into your teen years and whatnot. You know, that's that's when I picked up the guitar and that's when I started playing. And you're free to explore. There's no pressure. When you become an adult and you transition into that place, there's there's the expect the expectation. What you know that that you you grow up. And it's like Picasso said, didn't he? He said, it's like every child's an artist, but the problem is how to remain one when you grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the responsibilities of life can knock that out of you. And I think we're taught in much of our education establishments and then how work functions is that everything's pretty much binary or like dualistic where everything's either right or wrong. Your exams are, you know, there's, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And so when we tra- transition into that, when, when the world seems to be like that, creativity is full of experimentation and nuance and gray areas uh, and successes and failures and discoveries. And when there's no space for that, I think that's when people lose the art. Hey, legends, super quick. If you're wondering where you can find any of the things that are mentioned in today's episode, head on over to myoldhands.com and you'll find it all there. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. When when the world seems to be like that, creativity is full of experimentation and nuance and grey areas and successes and failures and discoveries. And when there's no space for that, I think that's when people lose the art. Just through reading The Creative Wound and also I've made a start on Brave Art, which is one of Mark's other books. And I didn't dig right into Brave Art only because I'm hoping if today goes well that he might come back in the future and we can dig into that in full. So that was strategic, but <laughs> I reread The Creative Wound <laughs> twice. So I've been noticing patterns that I have that stem from that period. And one is that I can come across as very stoic, which is why people sometimes are shocked when I say I'm doing comedy and they come and sometimes, on occasion, I can even make them laugh. They're not (laughs) expecting that from me. But that was a massive shield for me because I am, as one of my friends found out this week who was trying to give me some creative criticism and positive feedback on something incredibly sensitive, and I pretend that I'm not. And I want to pitch this to you. I'm, I'm not looking for psychiatric help here, mate. I'm just looking for your <laughs> advice. But essentially, I portray that I'm open to direct feedback. But in my mind, I've got rules. And one of those rules is the timing of it. If you want to give me the feedback about something I've done, but it doesn't suit my timeline, maybe I'm still trying to enjoy the afterglow of some success I've had and I don't want to hear it at the time. I can get incredibly annoyed and upset and really, really, you know, disagreeable about that feedback, whether it's well-intentioned or not. And it goes against what I've said to these same people that are in my world that I'm open to it and I want you to tell me. But it's like I've built a cocoon around myself and I'll only open that door when I'm I'm ready to. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've become more aware of since rereading the book particularly that I know that because it's, well, it's very present because it happened this week again, (laughs) that I, it's almost like I'm being inauthentic to a degree that I'm asking for feedback, but then I've got conditions on it. Mm. But I track that back to when I was receiving a lot of feedback over the years and 
I wasn't processing it very well. I was just getting hung up on it being negative. Mm. So I think I built a, a mask, I think you might call it in the book, or a shield yeah. out of, yeah. well, if I ask for it, then I can dictate how it comes to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know mm-hmm. what you think about all that. I'm just kind of riffing here, but I'm sure yeah, with your yeah, I'm yeah. sure with your amazing brain, you're hearing something that I <laughs> that I should be thinking. <laughs> oh dear. Well, it's not unusual. I think there is there is a lot to be said for timing. You know, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think I think it's in the creative wound. I mentioned about personality types, and when you ask for feedback, I try to personally ask for feedback from certain personality types when I'm looking, when I need certain comments. If I'm looking, say for for example, when I'm starting a book project, when I start at the the very beginning of it, I want to know if the concept is good. So I might send an, an article or a chapter or two to somebody who is brilliant at looking at the, the nuances of grammar. And all they'll do is come back to me with every comma that's out of place. And, uh, you know, the, the grammar police. Yes. Yeah. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the, is the whole idea, the, the, the thousand foot view. Is that, is that good? Yeah. And sometimes the feedback can be, can be useful, but at, at the wrong time, it's not useful at all. And it can be, it can be painful. You know, a lot, of, a lot of us creative types are sensitive. That is what makes us able to be creative. It's a strength. But we do, we do feel, and sometimes, you know, the pain's real when it, when it, when it touches a nerve. And the thing is trying to, trying to, uh, I don't know, try, try to, I, I try to park it somehow or collect the feedback and put it in a cupboard. Think, oh, I don't need that right now. Okay. Um, do you get what I mean? And then maybe drag it out at a later point when you do need it. Cause it, otherwise you can, you can become a bit of a control freak. And when you're trying to control everything, spontaneity goes out of the window. And with spontaneity goes true creativity. Yeah. You know, so you start shutting the whole thing down to where creativity actually is. You start, you start doing it by numbers and, and, and trying to, you know, do you get what I mean? I, I do, absolutely. And it makes me think that this particular person, she's very close to me. And I rely on her for feedback about a lot of things. And the thing she was commenting on was something organizational, which she is an absolute genius at. Uh-huh. She's amazing at handling stress, like under pressure, and organizing things. And she didn't actually step outside of really what I would normally reach out to her for feedback or listen to her on as well. Just I thought I was writing this little wave of success after organizing a thing. And that feedback came what like I thought, why would they choose that moment to say that thing? Mm. And I could have mm-hmm. just done what you did and just thought, oh, well, their intentions were good. I see it as poorly timed. Maybe I need to park that in the mm-hmm. park that mm-hmm. in the parking cupboard, as we may call <laughs> yes. it for the rest of this conversation. I didn't do that. I dwelled on it and then yeah. got, got frustrated and then yeah. pick, picked apart this person's criticism, mm. even though it was a very structural if you do this next time, it, this will work better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I think the one thing you can also do when it's like that, it's a brave move, but you can go back and ask the question you just asked. I wonder why you chose that time or why you thought that was helpful to me right now and to try and get inside her head. And then that gives you the understanding of where she's coming from. 
yeah. you know that that level of empathy can actually then disarm and diffuse what you what your interpretation a lot of it's still with translation and interpretation of events mm. i think and we we don't we always see it through our our lens our backstory our mindset and that person was obviously wrong <laughs> yeah and when you see her side of it you can it actually can disarm the wound and and, and take down the you know the, the pressure of it and the pain of it a little yeah so i guess where all that's going mark is that I was building a wound for myself. Like mm-hmm. that was self-inflicted. It was a friend that I'd given carte blanche to. If you ever have feedback about this, this, and this, I want to hear it. Don't ever hold yeah. back. And then I got annoyed yeah. about the fact that I got it, which <laughs> is ludicrous, really. But not all wounds come externally. And I think as an adult, because your brain is fuller and you have more experience and you've met more types of people. I find now that I'm not as actually impacted by what could cause an external wound, like someone's words or thoughts or actions. I can brush a lot of that off. What I do find more difficult is not to build, not to create them myself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's something you've heard before or something you've thought about, but that's just how I find it. It's more self-generated at times. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's, that's, so, that's so true. Um and again, that comes from the operating system that we've we we've picked up along the way, and it of, you know often stems right from the beginning. One interesting thing maybe to look at, if you're going back to, going into super psychology here, but go, <laughs> going back into attachment theory. Have you have you heard of attachment theory at all? Yeah, yeah. Because I think some of that and how our primary caregivers or authority figures as we grow up, those voices can often be the voices that we hear speaking as we're into adulthood, hmm. you know, or, or a version of them, almost like ghosts that live in your head, because that is what you've heard, and that's what's that's what's kind of formed the um, the rails of your mind as you've grown up. You know how your mind works, how the pathways work, and that is, I think, that is how we can then we can dismiss other people and their comments don't hurt as much, but ours because they're formative and our head has been with us most of our lives, <laughs> if yes. not all of it, yeah. you know, uh, and, and sometimes tracking back that, if you can, to actually then see, see the relationships or the words or the, like the vile din type of things by reinterpreting those, by get you know, stepping back as an adult. When you're a child, it's really hard to, to understand because our, our brains are not fully formed till we're in our mid twenties anyway. So we feel stuff, but if we can step back as an adult, almost like, and then kind of go back into the memory and go back into the emotion of it, we can reinterpret things probably and usually more accurately, you know, as, as a grown up. That's fascinating. And I was just reading part of that part of the book today. Mm. And I think that's why some of these things feel so present to me just in our conversation now, because I'm trying to do that self work. Like, yeah, basically leading up to this conversation, those things have been milling around in my head. Yeah. So the other thing is, just in my experience, it's a lot harder to lie to yourself and put a mask up when you're inside it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're acting. Yeah, you could put a brave face onto the world, but it doesn't always work to yourself. So That's right. Just on, I wanted to just maybe, for lack of a better term, not lighten things up a little bit, but maybe just go in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. This show, at the crux of it, is about overcoming creative blocks and the creative wound or a creative wound 
is a block that we all have to deal with at some point. I was just wondering, just maybe in the context of something like writing The Creative Wound or the, the newer book, Brave Art, what type of blocks does someone that knows as much about creativity as you and has looked into this subject so deeply, what do you face? Oh, it, you know, it's no different to what you've just been describing, if I'm honest with you. F- uh, fear of failure is a big one. Have I got what it takes? Who, you know, the whole imposter syndrome, who am I? Who am I to write this? What do I know about it? When the, when there's, you know, the war of art and the artist's way and these, you know, the, these, these classics, huge... Yeah. Yeah, classics. Yeah, you're like, what have I got to contribute to the to the conversation? Oh, you know, this is all the internal, the inter- it's, it's just my head. Nobody else has said that to me, and you know, it's <laughs> exactly as you describe. It's just me arguing with myself. The, you know, when you lose control of it, when you start writing, or you start working on a piece of music, like like yourself playing something on guitar, it's or you're working on you know, like a comedy routine. When you've got control of it. It's fine. But then when it's out in the public, in the public space, you lose control of it and it has to live on its own merit. And so the kind of the, uh, the inevitable critique and evaluation and judgment that is going to come that you can't do anything about. That's a, that's a biggie that I don't, I don't enjoy the thought of, you know, that is scary. (laughs) Yeah, well it is. (laughs) And for people at home, I can see I wouldn't say a look of terror on Mark's face, but I've maybe <laughs> made him think about something he hasn't thought about, at least maybe today, <laughs> maybe just for today, and that, that was real. So what do you do then to – you said that you have certain people you reach out to, okay, this is my person I can go to about big ideas if you need some mm. external feedback. So you've got a big idea person. I'm assuming at some point along the way you do have a commas and grammar person that's an absolute mm. saviour at that point. How much of you dealing with those blocks is external and how much is dealing with your own internal dialogue? Mm, oh, that's a good question. For me personally, I've learned so much throughout my life to to overcome them myself that usually the external help is, 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 is a point where I know what I need. Okay. Rather than um, rather than I don't know what I need to overcome. I, I usually specifically know what I need, and I go for that specific help. Like if I've got a toothache, I'll go to the dentist. I don't I don't need the dentist to tell me I need help. I'm like I need help. <laughs> so it's that it's that <laughs> it's more like I, I I do know what I need. Um, let me let me ask something else then. As someone that is so versed in creativity and the idea of creative wounds and you are obviously familiar with the war of art and maybe austin cleon and these people who talk about creativity and i've been reading all these people including yourself what happens when none of the tools that you believe you have help get over the block does that add extra frustration because i'm sure you're thinking look i've built up a lifetime's worth of tools why am i as mark pierce or josh liston who's been re- doing all this reading and research and whatever, why am I stuck in this moment? Like I should have I should have the systems to overcome this. That must be even more frustrating, I would think. <laughs> maybe. Oh, maybe you see that as part of the adventure. Maybe okay. you see that as part of the process. I guess everything has its own challenges though. Is that is that what you mean by the adventure? That not every creative yeah. block or creative wound can be dealt with, overcome and a processed in the same way 
Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, a lot of it can be to do with time and timing. If you're expecting to push a button and read a chapter in a book and suddenly everything's all, all okay, um, <laughs> it's not necessarily going to happen. Some things are instant. Some things take a heck of a lot of digging and work and repetition and craft and grind. And, you know, it's, it's, it might, I mean, the creative block might be a skill issue. You know, if you're trying to play a complex piece of music, the block might just be you need to keep practicing. You need to repeat and repeat and repeat till you get it. Or it might be the, the voice in your head of, you know, somebody saying your playing was a vile din when you were seven. Yeah. And that's a different thing that you need to overcome. And so it, it's a, it, if you're under pressure for a deadline, that's a, that's a tough thing. If you need to be creative to a deadline and you've got a client or whatever, that's, that's, a, very, that's a tough thing to overcome. But then you lean back on what you already know a little bit more, I think. That is when you lean back on formula probably a little bit more than you go for complete experimentation. I was hoping we could finish up, Mark, by talking about the new book. So mm. I'm a little bit more familiar with it than maybe I let on earlier, but I am hoping you may come back on in the future and talk about it at length if no, you're I'd up love to that. To. Love to. How does... How does or how doesn't Brave Art connect to the creative wound? As you, your opinion, you're the author. This is your latest literary mm. work, I think, from memory. So it is, yeah, indeed, yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 the next step, really. To, that's that's how I've you know wanted to to put it out there. The creative wound is 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 designed to heal you up, get you back on your feet, get you walking again, get you functioning again. And Brave Art is is. Um, it's much more a rallying cry to actually do something with the wholeness that you've got, you know, to actually create something with less fear than you've typically had in the past. What you have, what we all have, as proven by the fact that you're responding to my book, we, we will all create something that resonates with and helps a particular group of people or a particular person. You know, you've not got Stephen Pressfield chatting to you here or Julia Cameron. You've got me, which is bonkers, you know. Mm. But what I put out there, it's, it's, it's resonating with you and has resonated with other people. And that's the like, likewise with your music, likewise with your comedy and your podcast, of which I've heard numerous ones since we, we started talking. It's still mind-boggling for me, so thank you. <laughs> oh, I, I've, I've loved, I've been so entertained by them. I think they're brilliant. Really, really have. I've loved, I genuinely love listening to them. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. Brave Art is the rallying cry for yeah. people that have done some healing and either whether they knew that they had things to deal with or maybe they became aware, maybe more so like me, where mm. I can highlight different moments that maybe threw me off a creative path yeah. or also maybe trust my potential less than what I might, mm. may have. The book has helped me deal with some of those moments. That's cool. So just with Brave Art and just to finish up, how was creating a book that had a different aspiration, a different intention, how was that different than creating the, the previous book for you? Mm. Because, I mean, you've really hit people right in the heart and the brain also because you put a lot of science in the creative wind as well in both areas of the body and the mind. <laughs> yeah. And the new book is more for, okay, for the lack of a term, now we've got our shit together a little bit, guys. We're going on a journey here. So mm -hmm. for you as a creator, how were they different? 
you know, in, in a lot of ways, they were not vastly different. It's all part of a process. And it's more like the creative wound is the foundation. I want to get people to where they're creating what is in their heart to do and making a difference in the world and being creatively fulfilled. And it's almost like the, the creative wound is the foundation. Without that, you're going you're gonna to struggle because, you know, you're going to get to a certain point and then it'll all implode. Like we mentioned, the pop stars at age 27. And, and so, yeah, the, the, the process really is just a continuation. I've just kind of had a gap of two years and I've picked it up and carried on. So it, it's more, it's more I, I'm just excited about seeing what people can create rather than what, you know, what people can overcome and what they can create because the world needs your art. The world needs your voice. And it's not just the corporate people. It's not just the big famous ones on a grassroots level. On a grassroots level, everybody is creative. We all have something to offer, and you know, and that, that's that's what Brave Art's about. That's amazing. Well, Mark, can you just tell people that are listening where they can find you online, where you like to communicate online, if you do, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe just where to find the books. And one last question: Why is there no audio book when you are such a great communicator? I've seen your videos when you were introducing the creative wound, you spoke very well and you've got this amazing voice and you own a studio. I'm just putting a vote out there because we're podcast <laughs> listeners here, an audio podcast. These people like their audio. Where are the audio books? <laughs> mm, it's a good question. I, I need to get to it, don't I? It's, the, it's that question of the 160 I'll just hours, made you a bit uncomfortable here, guys. He's moving on his chair. Yeah, I know. I'm fidgeting about. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a question of priorities, really. It's, yeah. it's where, it's, you know, you've only got 168 hours in a week and, um, <laughs> yeah. putting book two out was was more of a priority but I, I do i do intend to get around to the audios yeah yeah excellent and where will they appear and where can people find the current books the current books um basically amazon is the is the only place you can get them at the moment um i do intend to go a bit wider with them but on uh, on, on amazon yeah any any of the amazons worldwide excellent and it's revelator studios it is my website is revelator.co.uk, which is R-E-V-E-L-A-T-O-R.co.uk. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as Revelator Studio. So you can find me in, on all three of those. Excellent. And one last thing, what have you got going on in the studio? You talked about what you've done in the last fortnight you're super excited about. What's coming up in the current fortnight that has Mark Pierce super excited? Oh, my goodness. How many things I've I've got... <laughs> <laughs> He's looking all my over the place spinning. like a thousand my head is, posted yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm planning a I'm planning an album for a chap, a local a local singer songwriter. Um, he's going to be coming in the new year, so I'm kind of working through planning planning that. I've got a couple of album covers to design, and do you know it's, when we were talk- <laughs> when we were talking about um you know people's critique and stuff, um I did a whole string arrangement for a song. I've been producing the song. I did the whole string arrangement, and I'll be deleting all of that okay because <laughs> the client now doesn't want strings in it after doing the whole thing so uh-huh. i'll be deleting that and getting over the uh the creative wound that that caused this morning <laughs> <laughs> just export just the string section before you delete yeah, anything make sure yeah, exactly. make sure I'm you've got a copy it. <laughs> it'll go back in again this is what happens <laughs> yeah in and out in and out yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's some music producers out there just nodding their heads like, oh, the amount of things I've been asked to cut and then put back in later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it comes with the territory. It yeah. really does. That's it. 
Mark Pierce, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me at a slightly more agreeable time for me here in Australia and you in the UK. doesn't normally work out that we're both awake. Normally, I'm the one that's half asleep <laughs> when I'm doing this sort of stuff. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's been great, great to meet you and thanks for the conversation, Josh.